0: Circle centers for Cousins a shot and he scores. Dylan Cousins makes it 3 0 left for Cheryl. gonna take it coast to coast on a backhand scores. Off to the blue line, Vandalese the effort. Tip scores! Carson Folk is Mr. Teddy Bear! A new the... he scores! It's over! It's over! Game seven, overtime! Wow.
1: Hi hello and welcome to the WHL podcast I'm Zach Hodder the manager of player development for the Western Hockey League and your host for this week's episode. We're getting you prepared for the NHL draft which is set to take place on October 6th and 7th by talking with two of the best in the scouting game that is Sam Cosentino from Sportsnet and Ryan Kennedy of the Hockey News and Sports Illustrated. But before that we actually have some news and notes this week so let's jump into that. We start in the NHL.
0: Was Goodrow and the Tampa Bay Lightning have won the Stanley Cup.
1: 11 WHL alumni were part of the second Stanley Cup championship in the history of the Tampa Bay Lightning. They include players Braden Point, Braden Coburn, Tyler Johnson and Luke Shen, Assistant General Manager Stacey Roast and Jamie Pusher, as well as hockey operations staff, Grant Armstrong, Jamie Berger, Daryl Plandowski, Brad Whalen and Josh Die. Point finished second in scoring in the playoffs with 14 goals, 19 assists for 33 points in 23 games. Turning back to the WHL, Lucas Sabjowski and Dustin Wolf have been selected to participate in USA Hockey's National Junior Team Evaluation Camp. Wolf, the reigning WHL and CHL goaltender of the year, participated in the 2020 World Junior Championship with Team USA, while Sovjovsky is looking to make his first World Junior team with the U.S. club. The evaluation camp will be held October 8th to 13th in Plymouth, Michigan. The Spokane Chiefs have hired associate coach Ryan Smith to round out their new coaching staff, led by Adam Maglio. Smith spent last season as an assistant coach with the Medicine Hat Tigers and won the 2018 WHL Championship as an associate coach with the Swift Current Broncos. That's it for the news and notes this week. To stay up to date on everything Western Hockey League, check out our website, whl.ca, or stay up to date on Twitter, at the WHL. I'm here today with the major junior expert across
0: Canada. He's located in Newmarket, Ontario. Toronto, well, Toronto right now. For the purposes of this interview, we're hanging out in Toronto. Toronto, Toronto
1: Ontario, <laughs> but he gets out to the west actually quite a bit. That's of course, Sportsnet's Sam Cosentino. Sam, how has your summer been now that we're getting into fall? You
0: know what, Zach? I've been, uh, been really lucky. Our company's been uh, unbelievable in terms of how they've dealt with us. We've gone through some, some structural changes you know, behind the scenes stuff, but, uh, by all accounts, they've done an amazing job keeping our people informed, keeping them safe, yet still being able to work and in terms of me personally, hanging out with the family every day. It's been great. Been golfing a little bit more than I ever have. Uh, you know, usually that time's taken up with Memorial cup and the draft and the combine. So obviously that stuff didn't happen. So trying to get the handicap to a manageable level where I can still win a few bucks and, and still play pretty good.
1: Well, what's a manageable level for Sam Cosentino?
0: Well, I'd like to be at about a 10. I'm at an 11 right now, and I'm hoping by November I can get to a 10.
1: That's a, you know what? That's a pretty good little score. Not you could bad. win a couple tournaments with that. That's not too yeah, bad.
0: not too bad.
1: <laughs> well, Sam, the, the biggest day or the biggest couple of days of your year coming up pretty quick here, the NHL draft. Uh, how have you been preparing for this draft? Obviously going to be unique, going to be online, and what do you think fans can expect from a fan experience standpoint?
0: Well, in terms of the preparation, it's kind of a year-long thing. And, it, uh, you know, it's ramped up a lot, obviously, over the last four to five weeks once we had some definition on when the dates were going to be. And, you know, the draft lottery was kind of a cool thing. And then the second phase, I thought, was, was, really, was really neat how that all played out. But basically, um, you take your in-person viewings, then you take whatever video that you can get, especially those players in Europe that I don't get to see or haven't seen, Then you talk to the, your network of scouts and you kind of just put it all into a bowl and mix it up. And that's kind of how I, how I come up with my list. So I'm really lucky that, you know, in this job, uh, in particular, I've been able to forge a lot of relationships right across the CHL, the 60 teams. I feel comfortable calling anyone from any of the 60 teams, you know, across the the country and into the United States, uh, as well as, uh, you know, having called so many games and trying to get to as many games as possible, I've been able to forge a lot of relationships in the NHL scouting community. And I'm really, really excited about that. I'm really thankful for that. I'm really appreciative of the support that they offer, knowing that, you know, I'm trying to get out there as much as I can, but I don't have budgets to get to Europe and that sort of thing. So that's kind of how the list comes together. In terms of the, the, the fan experience that we're hoping to provide from sports, that is we'll be working in conjunction with the NHL network in Secaucus, New Jersey, where Bill Daly will be there. He'll make the pick. They will have someone interview the player or someone um, with the team. Meanwhile, we'll throw it back to our Sportsnet studios. Myself, Brian Burke, Jeff Merrick, and Elliot Friedman will be kind of handling the duties from there. And hopefully we're just able to provide some uh, as best information as possible. You know, the one thing, Zach, that we like to try and do is is really fill in some background information. I mean, I think you can watch a highlight pack of a player and it's highlights. So they're going to be good things that you're seeing. But everyone's seen goals and assists and and really nice plays, saves, that sort of thing. But we try and dig in a little bit and try and offer a little bit of a different perspective in terms of what the player has to offer in the background. So we're going to be looking to to do a lot of that.
1: Let's talk about a couple of those players and what they might have to offer specifically from the Western Hockey League. And I'll start in Kamloops where we have uh, two players. They could be very high picks, the first of which is Connor Zeri, who you know, tore up the Western Hockey League this year with the Kamloops Blazers. They look like a team that next year could compete for Memorial Cup. So where do you see Connor going in this year's draft? And more importantly, how do you think his game translates to the professional level?
0: Yeah, you know what, Zach? I have uh, high praise for Connor. Haven't met him a couple of times. Spent some time with him at the prospects game. And then a real appreciation for the game that he brings to the table. By the way, it was really good in that prospects game. But, you know, here's a guy whose game will translate likely because he's a good two-way player. And he's a guy who seems to really thrive when the spotlight's on him. When the pressure's on, he seems to be able to perform really well in those types of situations. No issues with the skating whatsoever. Good puck handler. Plays that in-tight game that we're seeing a lot in the National Hockey League, shoots the puck extremely well, and has really had a a main role, uh, even going back to a 16-year-old year, year, playing in Kamloops. So that doesn't happen very often. But I'm a huge fan of the player. I'm a huge fan of the person. I think for Connor, though, it kind of goes back to the end of the year previous to this, where down the stretch, you know, Kamloops had to win some games, and he was being relied on as a a key guy to to do that, taking some key face-offs and scoring some big goals. And I think that helped him springboard into the offseason. Obviously, he had a good offseason there. And, you know, as you say, he lit it up this year. I think the one thing I'd say about Connor, when, from a scouting community perspective, is I think he exceeded a lot of people's expectations in terms of his offensive output. And that's what put him, for me, in the range of, of probably 20 and above.
1: Well, it's teammate who is also another young player that's expected to do a lot. He's the WHL academic player of the year. That's goaltender Dylan Garan. Scouting goalies in the NHL is probably the biggest question mark. You never know who's going to turn out. I mean, you look at Jack Campbell, who I believe went 11th overall in his draft year, and he's just now establishing himself as a backup goalie in the NHL. So where do you think Dylan is going to go in this draft? And who is somebody that you know, we could compare his game to currently on the NHL level?
0: So when I, when I look at Dylan, it's the same sort of thing as Connor. You have to really go back to the end of the year two years ago when uh, Dylan Ferguson got hurt in Kamloops. And automatically, here as a 16-year-old kid, Grant was thrown into the fire. And he was absolutely brilliant. Helped get them, I think it was seven games down the stretch. They had to either win or get points in all of them, which they did. They go into the one-game playoff. You know, he's brilliant in that game, and that elevates Kamloops uh, into the playoffs. So really, really cool situation for, there, for him there. And then to go into the next year in, in the same way as Connor did, where you have that confidence that you can play not only hang in the league, but hang in high-pressure situations. And then he comes back last year again, another guy who goes to the prospects game. But he's a really serious young man, so it's easy to see why he was able to win the academic player of the year. I think everything he does, he kind of jumps right into and he really takes it seriously. So everything that I understand about the young man and that he is into the game of hockey. I'm sure he's one of those guys who's probably a, you know, a pool guy or a fantasy guy or one of those guys who would look across the WHL and he'd be able to tell you, oh, yeah, I know this guy or I played against that guy or. I know what the top 10 in scores looks like. I know who the top 10 save percentage guys are that I'm up against in the league. So he's into it, man. And I love that about him. He's, he seems like he's a real hockey nut. In terms of his game, he has a nice blend of athleticism, control. You know, I think being a little bit on the smaller side when it comes to what we're seeing in the National Hockey League these days, you have to be able to kind of get outside of your comfort zone a little bit. You have to be aggressive. You have to get out, play the top of the crease, be aggressive on shooters as, as somewhat of a smaller guy. And so I think he has the ability to do that. So I guess if I look at him, he's maybe not quite as dynamic as what a Marc-Andre Fleury would be. But in terms of being able to have that athleticism, you know, a guy who's, who's serious about his craft, although Marc-Andre Fleury before games and maybe after games, Dylan, I think, is a more serious guy than that. But in terms of his ability to have success, I think in size and that sort of thing, I think Marc-A- Marc-Andre Fleury would be a guy that I would look at as, as being comparable to, to where Dylan is.
1: Well, there's no pressure on him now, Mark uh, Andre Fleury only <laughs> first overall in his draft year. But uh you know, when you talked about Dylan there, you were talking about he's he's dynamic, he's locked in, he knows what he needs to do. And looking at your career. Uh, You've been that same type of person. I mean, you've not only been the prospects expert for Sportsnet for countless years now, but you've also been a play-by-play guy for the Montreal Expos, and you've had Blue Jays Central. So how do you think your your experience that still exists in baseball helps you in your current role ranking these draft prospects?
0: Well, I think when, when you go back and look at baseball, it's really difficult to kind of break into the circles of people there. And so for a lot of time, I worked in the visiting clubhouse, and you had no choice but to, but to make relationships. And then in 96, I worked as an assistant equipment manager with the Blue Jays before getting into the broadcast stuff in '02. And again, you're kind of forced to grow up. You're kind of forced to make relationships you're, you're put in some, uh, at times, uncomfortable situations. And so when when I got on to being the kind of the prospects guy for for Sportsnet, it was really just about relationship building. And I think a lot of those experiences in the past and trying to break through some of the mm. tough exterior that baseball people generally have really helps you to uh, create relationships. You know, an NHL scout and go up there and say hi and hey, what do you think about this guy? And, and really, it just kind of builds from there. And, and there are a lot of guys now that, you know that are in my phone that I can that I can call quickly and you know when I'm when you're doing mock drafts and rankings and you just want to corroborate an opinion or maybe you're in a position where you haven't seen a player and so you can lean on those on those guys to to do that so I'm really thankful for that but I think it really goes back to kind of going from a boy to a man a lot quicker than than most people because I was in a lot of uh, situations with a lot of uh, adult people, not older people, but adults, when it comes to, to being around a game of baseball. So I think those experiences definitely have helped, basically, in the relationship-building aspect of, of what I do now.
1: And building relationships is so important. As you know, baseball is such an insular group, and hockey, yeah. in some way, in a lot, is the same. It can be. Yeah. Can uh, be. You know, the joke we say is there's no nepotism in hockey. But... <laughs> <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, when you talk about relationships and how important those are, when you look at a guy in Prince Albert, like uh, Ozzie Weisblatt, you talk about relationships, uh, that might be a name that we hear a lot more because he also has a younger brother that's going to be entering the Western League this year. But what does Ozzie do? He's projected late first, early second right now. What about his game has really uh, improved since he's gotten to Prince Albert?
0: Well, it's his work ethic, his energy is compete. Those are the things that stick out with him automatically. And so then as you continue to watch the player, you understand that there's a really good skill set there. The ability to get the shot off in a hurry, good quick release. He can beat you going wide. He has no problem going to the middle of the ice. What's really cool about his story is the adversity of growing up, basically being raised by his mom, you know, three brothers uh, and a sister. I believe I've, I've watched Orca play back some games with Calgary and Oasis is coming on the scene here pretty soon. And so when it comes to Ozzy, um, what's really cool about him is he played a key role on a WHL championship team at 16 years old. That doesn't happen very often. A lot of times those guys are at the back of the bus. They're fighting to either get in the lineup or fighting for fourth line minutes. But because of his energy, his passion, his drive, and his skill, it allowed Mark Hapshide to play him as a, as a third-line guy. And so that's where he really jumped off the page for me. And then you come back this year, you're given more responsibility, you're given some more of those high-leverage minutes and power play time that you weren't able to take advantage of as a youngster. And then you capitalize on those situations and on those opportunities, and it helps your growth as a player. So when I look at the adversity um, – you know, with with his mom and being deaf and having to communicate through sign language and maybe going through some humble beginnings growing up and having to get some help from from other families in his minor hockey career. And I combine that with what I actually see and having met the, the young man, I think that's an awesome story. I don't know if he's, he's right in that mix at the end of the first round and into the second, but he's not a guy that I'd sleep on for too long because I think people like that are extremely driven yet they have all the capabilities as a player to go along with that drive. And that's what makes him so impressive for me.
1: And he just keeps getting better too. Um, Another player on his team is most likely going to be a top 15 pick would be Caden Gooley, brother of Brendan Gooley. Uh, You know, Prince Albert is turning back into a hockey hotbed for for these first round picks. And, you know, Mark Habshad, they they won the championship last year. They're technically still the reigning champions of the Western Hockey League. So (laughs) he'll go into the draft with that as well. Uh, You know, Sam, you're again, you're based in Ontario, but you made it out to the West on several occasions. Uh, You've been around our league quite a bit, called games all over the Western Hockey League, including, I'm sure, in buildings that don't have teams anymore. The Clubs have moved on. (laughs) But in your travels, where's your favorite place uh, to go call a game or to go watch a game in the Western Hockey League?
0: Well, I like Kelowna. I mean, just, just the city. Um, you know, the Hamiltons have always treated us well whenever we've gone in there and going back to the days of uh, even when Habby when was there back in, you know, for, through to Jeff Trude, who's still uh, someone I call a close friend today. And obviously Ryan Husk has done amazing things as an assistant in Calgary. And it's really carried on. You know, got to know Adam Foote there for a short period of time. But Chris Millett is a guy who has kind of transitioned through a few of those guys who now has the opportunity to run his own show. So, from a coaching and management perspective, we always get treated extremely well going in there. I mean, how can you not like the setup uh, where you stay in the hotel right across from the rink? Uh, Obviously, you know, you got the mountains close by. I've brought my family out skiing to to big white in each of the last few years. You know, there's golf there. I'm a big wine guy. So the wineries are there. So it's not just, you know, going in there and and going to watch a hockey game, but allows you to kind of live a human life a little bit too, every time you go to Kelowna. So really suck that we missed the, two weeks there for the memorial cup this year but i have so much respect for the organization the way it's been run all the players that they've produced in the national hockey league so getting out there to see a game for me is uh, is probably my favorite place in the, in the western hockey league having said that you know victoria is a is a pretty close second and for a lot of the same reasons
1: yeah you know i lived in victoria for a couple of years when i was going to university it is a <laughs> great place to live and it, you know it's funny you pick two of the most temperate places in the western hockey league as your favorite place to go <laughs>
0: yeah
1: uh you know sam last player i'd like to ask you about here uh, this guy he's been a same kind of situation as aussie weisblatt where at 16 he was asked to do probably more than most 16 year olds do and then at 17 really came into his own on a very good team and that's uh, jake neighbors from the edmonton oil kings well, you know where do you see jake progressing and you know let's just look at his next two years is this a guy that next season has an opportunity to play for team canada at the world juniors
0: well, I think so. And when, um, you, you know, it's, it's funny that we're talking about Ozzie Weisblatt and Jake Neighbors. Those guys are our best buddies, best of buddies. In fact, you know, it was Jake who was, uh, took it upon himself to, to learn sign language so that he can communicate well with, with the Weisblatt family. And I think that's, that's such a cool story for a young man to, to take that upon himself. So I really, really am, am impressed by that alone. That's kind of the starting point for me but I had a chance to sit down with Jake earlier in the year. And I was so impressed with the young man because the topic of coming from a divorced family came up and it wasn't something shied away from. And I felt that I was in um, okay to ask those questions because I come from a family that that's like that. And Jake was really open and honest about it and how he's kind of navigated through that, which can be a very difficult thing for kids at times. So that's just all the background stuff that, that we had talked about before. Now getting into the player, What's I think has helped him a lot is when you look at the playoffs and the heaviness of what the playoffs have offered this year in the National Hockey League, Jake Neighbors is a guy who is right up that alley. He wants to get under your skin, he wants to throw the body. By the way, you don't sleep sleep on a skill because he'll score. So you put all those attributes together, you look at the way the game's being played in the playoffs, and you say, All right, I can see this happening. What's important to know about that type of skill set is the fact that if for whatever reason you're in the National Hockey League, you're playing, you're bound to go through slumps, you're bound to get pushed up and down in, in the lineup. The fact is Jake has basically the backup plan, so that if he can't play in your top six and he's not going to be a, a 20 or 30 goal guy, how is it that he's still going to impact your team? Well, you can play him on the third line, you can play him on a fourth line, he'll give you some PP2 options if he's not quite good enough to, to play in your first power play and I think he's got some penalty killing in, in his game as well because he's a smart player. So the fallback is if you draft him as a National Hockey League, you're saying, of course, we want his upside to be a top six guy, a top two-line guy, but we know that if that doesn't pan out, he's going to sit comfortably on our third line. He's going to give us really good energy minutes. He's going to go in and be a pain in the rear end against the opponent, and that's an awesome fallback position to have.
1: I mean, if I'm Jake Neighbors listening to that, I'm even more excited about the draft now. <laughs> i'm learning about myself no that's awesome well sam i have i'll give you a chance here at the end our last question to pat yourself on the back Uh, i talked to ryan kennedy last week who was obviously with the the hockey news and i asked him you know you've been doing this for so long you've seen so many players but i'm sure there's one player that you said you know i really think this guy is going to be a lot better than what people have not projected to be right now and ryan kennedy said Well, when I saw Anthony Sorelli play for the first time, I said, oh, there's something special. So do you have a guy that you saw play and you just thought, you know, there's something here and I think this guy's going to do great things?
0: Well, you know what? You go back to Braden Point's days and it's funny because like, I mean, his jersey was down to his knees and he just, honestly, he looked like, the guy who should have been playing at the intermission, the kid who should have been playing at the intermission, rather than the guy who was playing the 20 minutes of the game. So he'd be one guy. Andre Palat, oddly enough, is another guy. I watched him in Drummondville uh, quite a bit, and I thought, wow, this guy's got something here. But I I think the one guy that I really felt very strongly about is actually a Russian. Artemi Panarin played in our Canada-Russia series that we traditionally have in November, and he was skinny as a rake in his draft year. And he kind of disappeared. He went back. He played in the KHL for a little while. And obviously showed up in Chicago. We know what he did there. You're looking at what he's done this year. Unbelievable things, Um, you know, with the Rangers now through Columbus and and whatnot. But he's a guy that I thought to myself, wow, he's super smart. He's got unbelievable skill for like a thin guy. He shoots at a ton. So he's one guy that I would say I was pretty proud to, to feel that I was confident that he was going to be a good National Hockey League player. It just took a little longer than expected.
1: Yeah, he took a couple extra stops there in Russia. You know, the bus, bus breaks down every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Oh, Sam, thanks again so much for doing this. Uh, have a great rest of your week, and best of luck once the NHL draft gets going.
0: Yeah, awesome, Zach. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Hope to be out there soon calling games, man. I miss it.
1: Thanks to Sam Cosentino and Sportsnet for allowing us to have that conversation. Up next is Ryan Kennedy from Sports Illustrated and the Hockey News. He's been covering the top draft prospects for over 14 years, and I sat down with him to discuss a few of the top players in the Western Hockey League. I'm here today with a senior writer and draft expert or prospect expert with the Hockey News and Sports Illustrated. That's Ryan Kennedy. Ryan, how
2: have you been enjoying this um, return to play with the NHL playoffs? I think they've done a fantastic job. I I really like the game presentation. I think they've done a tremendous job, obviously with the testing and and keeping players safe. And it's been a really fun Stanley cup run, Uh, you know, watching Dallas as, you know, a a bit of a spoiler and and, and really playing some top teams with, with great defensive presence. It's, uh, it's been quite the show. And then obviously Tampa Bay, you know, getting back, To the final, I think this was something we've been waiting for for a couple of years now. Especially after last year when they got knocked out. They got
1: swept by Columbus in the first round. And they don't have Samkos right now, but they're still firing on all cylinders. But he might be back by the end of the series. But like you said, the NHL has done a tremendous job with this event. But the next event, and arguably the event that you're the expert on, the NHL draft. And do you know any details about what that presentation is going to look like?
2: They haven't said much yet. I, I would presume that they're probably going to put on a pretty good show. Uh, you know, we're all used to Zoom calls now. And uh, I, I know they're, they're lining up some availabilities with some of the top prospects in preparation for it. So there, there's going to be some, some decent media access uh, in, in the run-up to the draft. And I, I would suspect that you're, you're going to see uh, a nice presentation. I, I think luckily for the NHL, we've already seen an NFL virtual draft happen so there's a bit of a template to go off at least
1: well if we're talking about the nfl draft for a second here uh some of the highlights were the the viral ability of that draft i mean belichick's dog coming in rabel had his whole family dressed up uh if you were to guess which nhl gm would have the most uh viral zoom call who would that be
2: oh i think it's got to be mark Bergevan in montreal i mean that's a that's a guy that steps up to the occasion you know he was known as a a jokester as a player and we've seen his sense of humor come through a couple of times as a gm just with you know sort of fun things he's done and he's he's a snazzy dresser so i think he's going to have his war room set up in a some sort of stylish way maybe maybe ironically stylish maybe just fun but i I, i'm going to keep my eye on bergeman
1: There'll, there'll probably be a couple of dumbbells in the corner so he can get his arm curls in, in between picks.
2: There
1: you go. Uh, <laughs> speaking of the the draft, you know, last year, the Western League, we had seven players go in the first round. Uh, you know, this year it's a real toss up, but we, we have a few players that are what it looks like to be surefire first round picks. Let's start with Caden Gooley. Uh, he's a defenseman for the Prince Albert Raiders. What about him do you think makes him a, a top prospect for this year's draft? And how do you think his game translates to the NHL?
2: Well, with Gouli, obviously the, the big positive with him is his skating. He has fantastic skating ability. And, you know, you look at the NHL today, it's, it's all about mobility, particularly on the back end. He's got really good edges, pivots well, and he defends very quickly. And, you know, this is a guy that he, he does have offense in his game, but really more of that two-way guy. Um, he can be physical, closes gaps really quickly. I would say you're getting a little more defense than offense there, but that's certainly not a bad thing. Uh, you know, he, he is a blue liner. And I think there's a lot of translatability in his game because of that skating ability. It's It's such a good building block to have as a foundation in today's game.
1: You know, you might not be able to answer this question, but his, his older brother, Brendan is also, I mean, he's up and down in the NHL, but he was a first-round pick. He's played, I think, close to 100 NHL games. Do you know if NHL teams or NHL scouts, how much weight do they put on the bloodlines of players like a ghoulie uh, when they're evaluating his play?
2: It's certainly a a box that they check off, and it it doesn't even necessarily have to be in hockey. I think if players come from athletic backgrounds in general – it's a, it's seen as a plus, and it, you know it could be brothers and sisters, it could be uh, the mom or dad, but any sort of high level activity uh, is seen as a plus. And then of course it is a bonus if if you had a you know a brother or a dad who played in the NHL, um, just because then some of those players they've they've been around the NHL dressing rooms before, they know what to expect, they they train like pros, so you know, that sort of specialization is obviously key, but yeah, any sort of high-level athleticism, I think, is a bonus. Yeah, you think about in the OHL with
1: Liam Foodie and his parents, you know, Olympians and CFL players, it's the bloodlines, that athletic, the high-level competition players. Transitioning back to our league, uh, we just talked about a defenseman, let's talk about a forward now in Portland, Seth Jarvis, who, I mean, he was ranked coming into this year's draft, but he's just gone up and up and up, and he had an opportunity to compete for the scoring title in our league had we would have had a full season. But uh, what about Seth's game really caught your eye this year?
2: Well, it's the great combination of speed and skill. You know, he's an elusive guy. And obviously, 98 points in a what was a shortened schedule. Uh, that's pretty impressive. And talking about, you know, right now, here's a kid that, you know, he likes Braden Point. We see a lot of similarities to Braden Point. Braden Point currently starring for the Tampa Bay Lightning you know, in the playoffs, 10, 15 years ago, you know, Seth Jarvis with his size probably would have been relegated to the second round uh, as Braden Point was when he was originally drafted. But now NHL teams see that it's not really size that's going to matter that much at the NHL level. These guys that, you know, are in that sort of five foot nine to five foot 11 range, I mean, if you can't, catch up to them you can't hit them and you can't get the puck off them and you know Seth Jarvis tremendously impressive this year I really liked him at the CHL top prospects game Uh, I, I thought he acquitted himself very well there and you know this is a player that I think a lot of teams are going to be jockeying for position in that first round and thinking okay if he's still on the board at a certain number do we need to trade up to get him because I think there's going to be a lot of suitors for a kid with that package
1: his compete level is really what caught my eye when I got to see him play this year in Seattle. Um, You know, I I played with Braden Point and Moose John, you know, that's a really good comparable for him because they're both undersized guys that when they go on the corners, they always seem to come out with the puck, uh, which was frustrating when you're playing against them. But if you're a team drafting, it's definitely a guy you want. Um, You know, you've been with the hockey news since 2004. Now you're their prospect expert. What do you, when you're scouting players, how do you go about scouting? And then what's the rubric you use to evaluate these guys and put them into your own list?
2: Well, for me, it's definitely a combination of personal viewings and talking with NHL team scouts. And, you know, I I have sort of a a network of of teams uh, or team scouts that are uh, across the globe. And I think that's really important is you want to have people out West that see the dub kids consistently. You want to have guys in Ontario and in the Quebec league in the States, Sweden, Finland, what have you. So for me, you know, I, I love to see as many of the kids in person as I can in a given year. And then, you know, I also want to get input from scouts because, you know, they're the guys that are seeing these kids, you know, multiple times. And, you know, if, if it's a regional scout, he might see them half a dozen, maybe even more times during a season. I, I also think it's important to, see how a kid progresses throughout the year. So, you know, we're talking largely about 17-year-olds and they're, they're still growing into their frames. They're still finding themselves uh, in major junior. And, you know, a, a kid that is just getting, you know, his footing as a 17-year-old might blossom over the course of five months. And I think that's why you really have to take in the whole uh, season or as much of a season as you can and say, you know, how far did this kid have and, and how far can they still go? You know, you're looking at potential, you're looking at upside, uh, you know, skating, obviously very important these days. Hockey sense is another thing. You, you, you're looking at things that you can't necessarily teach and yes, you can get better at skating, but if you already have that mobility, you certainly have a leg up on the competition.
1: You're so knowledgeable about these kids and about what teams are looking for. Have you ever had the opportunity to join a team scouting staff or have you been approached by NHL teams saying, hey, we want you to stop telling everybody else who to draft and start telling us who to draft?
2: I haven't yet. Uh, I mean, that would be a very interesting opportunity if it ar- if it arose, but I have so much respect for the, the NHL team scouts that are out there. Um, you know, the work they put in and the knowledge they have um, just breaking down, you know, granular skills in these players. You know, you, you think about the edge work in skating, and you think of, you know, breaking down a player's stride. And uh, for me, it's just fascinating to talk to these folks, and you know, for for them to say, like, oh, you know, he's he's a bit of a knock kneed skater. He's a bit of a bent over skater. You know, they really break these things down. And um, to me, it's just it's fun to to tell the stories of these players, and when I get to interview them you know, I kind of joke, it's like comic books. I I tell origin stories, you know, where did this kid come from? And you're going to see them turn into something, you know, potentially great in the next sort of five years or so. And, uh, and that's where I get a lot of enjoyment out of the job. I love that. The origin story. That's awesome.
1: Uh, you, You talk about those, those scouts are seeing these kids every day, that granular development. Well, they get to see players like Tristan Robbins, who at the beginning of the year wasn't really that highly ranked, but has slowly progressed throughout the season up until the shutdown into a guy that could be, you know, a third round, potentially second round pick. So what did Tristan do? He's another
2: undersized guy to really catch Scouts' eyes this season? Well, I mean he's the perfect example of a of a kid that showed Progress in, in his game. And I think the most important thing for scouts was he learned to share the puck more, of a fe- more effectively as the year went on. You know, he's a high energy kid, he's got some good skill, but he really built up his game during the year. And, you know, he ended up leading the Blades in scoring, which is obviously a very nice uh, check mark for him, but you know, he got better. And I, I think that's the important thing, you know, like we didn't see him at the CHL top prospects game. And now we're seeing him as a player that, you know, has that sort of top 60, top 65 potential. And, you know, talking to scouts, like you said, he's one of those kids where, you know, he might go in the third round, but there might be a team that doesn't want to miss on him and, and goes for him in the second. And uh, that's sort of the fun of uh, draft day and, and draft weekend is, is seeing, how teams position themselves to make sure they get the kids they want. Well, Ryan, 16 years with the Hockey News and now
1: Sports Illustrated. How did you get into sports writing when you first broke out of university? And why did you choose hockey over any other sport?
2: Well, you know, I've always been a big hockey fan. And, you know, coming out of university, I did a lot of freelancing where I would write about, you know, basically any subject that interested me or or that I thought I could uh, sell. So, you know, a lot of it was music, but some of it was like design or, you know, I even wrote a, for an airplane magazine. Uh, and and I don't mean the ones that you read on airplanes. I mean, a magazine about airplanes. Um, so I just, sort of put myself out there and, and grinded as much as I could. And then an opportunity through some, uh, some folks I knew at the Hockey News came up where I came in and I started as an editor. And uh, from there, I started doing some writing and I was sort of writer slash editor. And I just sort of continued on from there and, and carved out my niche. And, you know, now we have the partnership with Sports Illustrated. So we're all writing stories for the Hockey News and as well as Sports Illustrated's website. Um, So it's an an exciting time and it's it's been a really fun uh, sort of 15, 16 years. Well, going back even further, I read
1: an article uh, about you, which was nice to find because most of the articles are written by you, which was the difficult part in researching yourself. But you grew up playing punk rock music in a punk rock band. Are you still able to partake
2: in, in playing drums in a band or have you passed that on to your kids? Well, you know, it's getting to that point. I actually just got a new drum set. I haven't played in a band probably for 12 years or so. Um, but, I mean, music's always been a huge part of my life. And, you know, playing in punk bands, it, it's funny. It's a, just the whole community and the the whole DIY scene. Um, I would say the, the one part of my personality is that I, I like to get into whether it be genres or sports, and, and really just sort of surround myself with it as much as possible. So whether it's knowing all the bands that are out there or, you know, when I moved over to hockey, you know, I've, I've always liked hockey. I played at a very low house league level, you know, when I was a kid. You know, when I got to the hockey news, then that became sort of the world that I was most fascinated in. And so, you know, you start off with you're following junior hockey and then you say, okay, well, what is there? you know, besides major junior, it's like, well, there's Minnesota high school, there's junior leagues in Sweden and in Russia. It's like, how much of the big picture can you put together? Because it really is kind of a puzzle if you think about the prospect game. And and that's, you know, sort of what, I, what I'm what i into right now is just trying to hit every angle possible. And I, I think that's sort of the, the fun thing about, you know, a, a sport like hockey is there's so much to it. And it's, it's such an international game that, you can do a lot of very creative things and and you can discover a lot of things that, you know, people don't know about, but but might find interesting if you uh, expose them to it.
1: When it comes to interesting, you've been doing this again since 2004. Who do you think is the one player that you, he might not have been a first round pick or a second round pick, but he was a player that you said, you know, I really think this guy is going to go on and have a tremendous NHL career. Who's been that guy for you?
2: well i 'm I'm certainly going to pat myself on the back for this one because uh, it was Anthony Sorelli, and this was a player that was not drafted into the OHL. He showed up in Oshawa as a free agent, and I watched him play during his draft year. I had never heard his name. I was watching the generals uh, you know live in person, and this kid was just always around the play and there was, i just I looked at him and I said, "You know, this is a kid that makes things happen every time he 's on the ice and I started to ask around. And, um, you know, speaking with uh, the generals, they told me his backstory. And uh, right before that Memorial Cup, I wrote an article that said Anthony Sorelli might be a difference maker. And sure enough, in that final against Kelowna, he had both goals, including the overtime winner, to beat Leon Dreissel and Josh Morrissey. And, and then Sorelli went on to get drafted by Tampa Bay. And now we see him now as a, a kid that's getting Selkie votes already in his young career. I, I got that one right. I don't get them all right, but I got that one right.
1: I think he has three big overtime winners already in his career, which is pretty impressive for a guy who's only in his third season in the NHL. Transitioning back, we just got one more player I'd like to touch on, which would be Brandon Wheat King's Braden Schneider. He's another defenseman the Western Hockey League in the past, has been known for, for their defenseman. I mean, going all the way back to Double Dion in the 2005. But what does Braden do well, and, and where
2: do you think he would slot in on an NHL roster? Well, I definitely think he's a a top four guy to be sure. And, you know, he might even have the talent to be a number two on a team. Great physical game, um, you know, great defensive player. What I really like about Schneider, you know, he he plays a pro game and he's almost kind of like a safe pick where you look at him and and you say, yeah, that's a, that's a kid that's going to play in the NHL for a long time. Like he's got 15 years written all over him, big body, skates well you know, has some offense to his game, more of a penalty kill guy, really, but he's strong. And, you know, what I also think is uh, sort of a, a good uh, omen for him is hockey Canada loves him. You know, he didn't uh, make the world junior team, but came pretty close. And, you know, I know speaking to the coaching staff during the training camp um, they really liked him. So I, I think that bodes well for Braden Schneider is, you know, when, you're, when your country's national team keeps you hanging around and, and wants you on those national teams, uh, I, I think that's great for him. And I, I think he's just a really solid prospect. Well, that Brandon team
1: next year could actually be one of the top teams in the Western Hockey League. They also have Ridley Grieg on that team, uh, as well as 20 year old Luca Burzan, who should be coming into his own next season. Uh, My last question, though, for you, if you look at the overall draft, you know, what can Western Hockey League fans expect? You know, again, we had seven first round picks last year. Don't think we'll see that again this year. But, you know, how many players do you think realistically could come out of the Western League this year?
2: Well, you know, I think it's probably going to be a, a similar number. That, it'll be a pretty standard number, but you're right. It's not going to be a big first round for the dub. You know, you're looking at Jarvis, Gooley, Schneider. You never know. I mean, you, you might sneak one more in there towards the end of the round because, you know, I always say it's like 25 to 40. Every year it tends to be kind of a, you know, a pretty level playing field that comes down to, to team preference. You know, so I, I think you're going to see the, the standard allotments, And, you know, I haven't broken down the numbers. I don't know if that's 20 players or 25 players or 30 for, for a, a typical major junior league. But I, I think it's going to be a pretty decent year. You know, you're going to see a lot of kids in that kind of 40 to 100 range. You know, I know when I was putting together my rankings, I was looking at guys like Christopher Sidoff and Jack Finley and Luke Prokop, where, you know, they're, they're going to get drafted that it's just a matter of, you know, when. And I I think in that sort of middle of the draft, you're going to see quite a few names called. So it's it's going to be a pretty good year. The the high end isn't necessarily there as it has been in some other years. But I think as a whole, it's a a pretty decent draft class.
1: You know, I hate when I do this, but I have one more question for you, even though I just said said that's the last question. But as you were talking, I was thinking about it. You know, one of the most difficult parts of your job must be, I would think, is you're, you're ranking all these players in all these different leagues. So how do you, let's use, if we're talking about the Western League and the AJHL, how would you scout those two leagues differently? Or do you scout those two leagues differently? And how do you rank those two players against each other when they're playing in two completely
2: different leagues? No, it's a great question. And I think you have to look at, you know, the, the level of competition that these players are facing and, I think each league has kind of its own vibe and it's a blended list. So, you know, you're thinking about WHL players and you're kind of stacking them against each other. So it's, you know, it's Caden Gooley versus Braden Schneider. It, you know, it's, it's not those two versus say Ethan Edwards from the AJHL. Um, I think when you're talking about the AJHL, for an example, it tends to be players that have really good upside. Um, You know, maybe they don't have the size just yet. They still need to fill out and you know, they're going to go, the NCAA route afterwards. So you're looking more so for potential there. You know, the the players don't have to be as well-rounded because it's more about certain traits they have. So, you know, from there, you're kind of blending the list and, You know, you you think about everybody's contributions and if there is any head to head that you can go off, then that's great. You know, whether it be international competition, um, you know, did a kid make the world junior team as a 17 year old? That's obviously great for them. You know, how many, you know, how many points did they have in their respective league? You know, like Seth Jarvis is a great example where 98 points, he kind of set the standard for draft eligibles in the dub this year. So you look at, you know, the the team he played for, you know, how many goals did they score? And you look at some other kids where maybe they were on a team that didn't put up as many goals or whatever it may be. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not a science for sure. uh, But it's kind of fun just to try to figure it all out. Oh, that's awesome.
1: Again, thank you so much, Ryan, for taking time out of your day. I really appreciate it. All the best to you as the draft comes up here and I'm sure you're ramping up getting prepared for it. It should be an exciting
2: day. Indeed, thanks for having me.
1: That's it for this week's edition of the WHL Podcast. Thank you to Ryan Kennedy and Sam Cosentino for taking time out of their weeks to talk with us. Next week, we will have our pre-draft episode. We're sitting down with many of the top prospects across the Western Hockey League, talking about where they expect to go and how they've been preparing for this year's unique and unusual NHL draft. You can follow me on Twitter at Zach Cotter. You can follow the Western Hockey League at the WHL. Have a great weekend.
0: We'll see you again next week.